Welcome to Perfecting Motion, Tribology, and the Quest for Sustainability, a new STLE podcast series that talks with industry professionals about current issues and trends impacting the global tribology and lubricants community. Here's your host, Neil Cantor, STLE advisor, technical programs and services. For those of you who have been joining us through the podcast, uh, welcome back. It's January of 2022. We hope you've had a good holiday season and wish you a happy and a healthy new year. And we've looked in the first four podcasts of this series, we've looked ahead with some of the newer technologies that may help us in our quest for perfecting motion, the drive to sustainability. These are things like tribochemistry and additive manufacturing and nanotribology, to name three of them that we have studied here. But for this one, as we move into podcast five, we're going to look a little backwards because one of the issues that I think we need to look at and address is, frankly, what's going on with the internal combustion engine. This is, of course, the locomotion that powers our vehicles. If you get into your vehicle, you're going to work in the morning, you turn the car on, the internal combustion engine starts up and moves on, If you, as most of us have those type of cars. The thing to keep in mind here is that in the move by the global automotive industry, to electric vehicles, whether it be hybrid or full battery-powered electric vehicles, the source of the move has frankly been the internal combustion engine, which is the source of all the emissions. But the thing that we have to recognize is this move to the internal combustion engine is not going to happen overnight. People are going to be driving internal combustion engines at least for the next generation, for the next 25 years. So here we are. It's the beginning of 2022. This is going to happen for the next 25 years. What, if anything, can be done to help make the internal combustion engine more sustainable because that's going to help in the, and excuse the pun, the drive to sustainability, if you will. So at this point, to answer this and other questions that we're going to pose here, we're fortunate to have Lake Speed Jr. from Total Seal Piston Rings available to speak with us. And Lake has been working in the automotive industry for over 25 years and has worked in the past with Joe Gibbs Racing uh, NASCAR team. So Lake, thank you very much. Welcome and appreciate your time. Thank you, Neil. As you know, I love the internal combustion engine and love tribology. So this is a great opportunity to be able to talk about the future of something that I've spent my whole life being around. And the dovetail here, obviously, is efficiency. And while racing may not on the surface (laughs) bring up thoughts of efficiency to the unindoctrinated, if you will, but in reality, racing really is at the cutting edge of efficiency. The the way to make an engine go faster is to make it more efficient. So if I can interrupt you here, at least for for those of us saying it, so as an analogy, I think many people know and remember the space program, which is still going on. We've had a lot of technology, a lot of developments come from the the space program, the same thing could be said for the conventional car we have in our driveways. A lot of the innovations there have come from racing. Oh, 100%. If you take just one thing, diamond-like coatings, the DLC coatings that are now in modern production engines that are allowing the use of lower additive levels, you know, less ZDP, things like that to help with emissions, to help with engine durability, all of that technology was first deployed into internal combustion engines 
in racing. You know, Formula One has been the platform of motorsport that has done the most to advance the science of efficiency, if you will, for internal combustion engines by bringing in different material technology, coating technology, the bespoke lubricants that have been developed for racing. Actually, what was used 20 years ago in a racing engine oil looks remarkably similar to today's GF6 oils, actually. So I think uh-huh. it's the chemistry, the, the tribology of motorsports is definitely leading the way. And I think that, it, as you said, we still have to deal with all the internal combustion engines that are still going to exist for probably decades to come. That's a question that still needs to be answered. How do we deal with that? And so look forward to talking with you today and maybe sharing some ideas about that. Right. So let me back up a little bit. Diamond-like coating, for those not familiar with it, is not, we're not talking about diamonds as in diamonds and jewels. I think maybe we wish we were, but not diamonds. (laughs) We're talking diamonds are made of carbon, as I think many of you know out there. We're talking about carbon-type coatings that help to reduce friction and wear that are applied to the surfaces of automobiles would be engines, pistons, and primarily, which is where the source of a lot of the frictions are. So while we wish it were diamonds, it's not. One other thing to say is ZDDP is a chemical additive used in motor oil, which has been used in many years for reducing wear. It's come under some scrutiny, so that's being reduced, but it's certainly an additive that's been used for the last 70 or 80 years. And then one more concept from Lake was GF6, which is Jerry Frank 6, if you will, is the last passenger car engine oil specification that is existing currently in the United States. And they go through specifications periodically uh, with a lot of testing involved, but that is what's called GF6. So with that addition, Lake, let's start here. What is the challenge in developing a competitive race car and what technology improvements have come about from this effort that have been used in passenger car vehicles? Sure. So the goal of automobile racing is to be able to go faster than your competition in order to reach the finish of the race first. No different than a marathon or a 5K that almost everybody's understands that concept and you know very similar to you know running running a race car race the harder you run the faster you run initially the more quickly you're going to get tired as you consume oxygen and and blood sugar and things like that and so if i run too fast i may have to stop and wait when racing we call that a pit stop sometimes you you consume all your fuel you consume all your tires and you got to stop and have a pit stop to refuel put on fresh tires and then you can run again but just like a really smart astute experienced runner knows how to pace themselves. How do I train in order to be able to run at a higher rate of speed for a longer distance? That efficiency in my motion, am I carrying any extra weight? How efficient is my stride? Things like that can also be found in motorsports. In the realm that I deal with, which is piston rings, which by the way, is my favorite tribological device within an internal combustion engine because, you know, there's three stages of lubrication. We, we, we all know that we put oil in engines or put oil in machines to function as a lubricant, to be able to reduce friction and to reduce wear. But the way that manifests itself in any 
piece of equipment is what we call the three stages of, of lubrication, which has been defined through the Strybeck curve is your full film lubrication, your mixed film lubrication, and boundary lubrication. And one of my favorite analogies for describing that is water skiing. If the boat is not moving, the water skier is submerged in the water. And that's the boundary condition, essentially. There is no hydrodynamic wedge. There's no fluid film to support the skier. He's sunk in the water. At that point, we're dependent upon the additives to prevent wear. So maybe in that case, the skier's life jacket, we can think of that as maybe the additives. It's doing all the work to keep the skier from sinking. But then as the boat begins to pull the skier out of the water, so you're somewhat dependent upon the velocity of the boat lifting that ski, that skier's gear, the water ski and the life jacket are still supporting some of that load. But then once the boat reaches enough speed, now it's the full film. It's the fluid effect of that relative motion between the ski and the water that's supporting the load of the skier. We call that full film lubrication. So engine bearings will pretty much live while the engine is operating in that full film condition. And there's that mixed film that's in between. So a piston ring, because a piston has to change directions every cycle, actually twice per cycle in a typical four cycle engine, which is what most internal combustion engines are four cycle engines. That piston ring goes from full film lubrication at mid stroke of the piston into mixed film as the piston begins to slow down as it reaches top dead center or bottom dead center. And then at that ring reversal, at that moment that piston stops, it's in boundary condition. So that's, it's exposed to everything that's happening in the engine. So the piston ring is actually the number one source of friction in the engine followed by the rest of the valve train components. So as you mentioned about the diamond-like carbon, the different coatings we can put on these parts in order to try to reduce friction, that's a key thing. And that's where motorsports, as in our quest for going the furthest we can, the fastest we can for every drop of fuel that we can put in that fuel tank, is of utmost importance. I remember several years ago, we attended an SAE a training session on improving fuel economy. And I showed up there as a member of Joe Gibbs Racing, and they were very <laughs> confused as to why a race team was attending an SAE session on fuel economy. And I said, oh, what you consider fuel economy, we call that horsepower. You're just mm -hmm. trying to gain efficiency. We're trying to gain efficiency. So we want to learn what you're, what you're working on and maybe we can pick up a few ideas on how we can do that. So really yeah. that, that's the goal of racing is to become more efficient. Let me interrupt you here just for those who don't know SAE is SAE Society of Automotive Engineers, which is a major society involved with all aspects of automobiles, whether it be racing, non-racing and helping to set specifications for automobiles. Correct. Please continue, yeah. <laughs> so let's take Formula One exam, for example, because obviously this the, the past season was a global phenomenon that came down to the very last lap, tremendous finish. In Formula One, they have a rule where they're only allowed X amount of gallons, or in their case, actually liters of fuel per race. 
And in fact, that fuel is limited to the amount of fuel flow the engine can see at any one time. So they can't just use all the fuel up and then maybe try to coast to the end. They have to, they're basically rationed on the amount of fuel that engine consume during the course of a race. So to go faster, they have to make the most use of every drop of that fuel, which means more complete combustion. And as we know, chemistry wise, if we have 100% complete combustion, there's very little emissions actually, when you have 100% complete combustion. Most of the bad stuff that we don't like about internal combustion engines is the unburnt fuel, the partially burnt fuel. If I may interrupt, let me also argue at this point with you, complete combustion is carbon dioxide and water. If you're talking about a hydrocarbon completely combusted it. And of course, one of the issues there, like anyway, is carbon dioxide, which is a right. source of uh, global warming. So yes, I agree that incomplete combustion is probably worse because you've got all these hydrocarbons and these other incomplete type issues, but you still have carbon dioxide coming off when it's complete combustion. That's true. That's true. I know the worst stuff, right, isn't carbon dioxide. It's the nitric oxides, the carbon monoxide, things like that, or the incomplete combustion. Well, yeah, uh, and certainly element. hydrocarbons like methane, which are there too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so anyway, we're trying to make it as clean as possible. We know it will never be as clean as no. a, a battery electric, but there's no no argument there at all. I'm going to say the real goal, though, what, what Formula One has been able to pioneer is taking an internal combustion engine that would normally be maybe about 35% thermal efficiency. So the idea that we've got you know, this many liters of fuel, how far can we go or how much power can we extract from that fuel? They've gone to a hybridization model that is allowing them to be over 50% thermally efficient. And then looking into the future, to your last point, they're looking at, okay, can we change the fuel in the future to have a drop-in fuel that is one, biosustainable, and number two, comes closer to complete combustion so that it's a more environmentally friendly fuel. And that's right. their, their goal. And I believe based on their track record, we will see that take place in the next few years. All right. So let's back up in terms of hybridization model. This is not a hybrid vehicle we're talking about. The racing cars are not becoming a hybrid vehicle. What do you mean by hybridization model? What's going on? What, what are they changing over to go from internal combustion engine to a hybridization model? So the, a, the modern Formula One engine today is a hybrid. It is not it is a just a petrol engine. No. Okay. And but they have a battery in there. They do have batteries in there. In fact, I believe the new Mercedes all-electric vehicle, from the reports that I've heard, the battery package that's in the new Mercedes production EV is based on the battery technology that Mercedes developed for their Formula One team. And the efficiency of that, the energy density of that battery pack is three times their leading competitor that's in the market right now. And because of that, back to racing, you want that car to be as light as you possibly can in order to be more efficient. And the other thing they've done with the use of electrification of the car, they had a very unique approach to it. We all probably know about turbochargers. Now, you know, a turbocharger is a device we add to an internal combustion engine that harnesses the exhaust heat, that exhaust energy, and then uses it to actually supercharge 
the engine, where we can push more air into the engine in order to have more power density in the engine. What Mercedes did, in a stroke of brilliance, by the way, a traditional turbocharger is the, we call it the turbine, which is powered by the exhaust, and the uh, impeller, which is actually causing the boost, right? So it's, it's what's putting the air into the engine. They're in one housing. Of course, we know that the exhaust is very hot. And of course, when air gets hot, it becomes less dense. So there's less oxygen per unit of area. Okay, so that decreases the efficiency of the engine when you have less density. What Mercedes did in Brilliance is they split the turbocharger and they put an electric motor in between so that they can use the motor generators that are attached to the wheels that under braking, they can absorb energy, they can create energy, store it in the battery package. But then when they want to accelerate the car, they can actually spin the turbocharger up independent of the engine because the turbocharger can only spin as fast as the exhaust is going. So there's this called turbo lag, which is the one way where they're, they're more efficient than a naturally aspirated engine, but they still have that area where they can increase efficiency. The turbocharger can always run at a fit maximum speed, which you can't when the exhaust isn't, when the engine's at low speed because there's no exhaust speed. They solve that problem by being able to decouple those two and allow the electric unit. Of course, they can also, when they're under deceleration, they can use that back pressure in the exhaust to spin the exhaust turbine and create energy. So they're harvesting energy and releasing that energy using the computer controls to do it at a level that no engine has ever done it before. So, I mean, think about if we could take the modern existing fleet of engines and increase their thermal efficiency by 15%, what that would do to global fuel consumption, to global emissions releasing. So that's a fantastic thing. And then that same kind of technology though, Neil, has also been explored by companies like Nissan for their plug-in hybrid cars, where the internal combustion engine in the hybrid doesn't power the car, it generates electricity for the battery system. Right. So if you can run the engine at a fixed engine speed, you can make it more efficient. All the valving events, all that can be precise. So they've explored the same opportunity, can ha- how we can make a generator essentially over 50% thermal efficient. So I just I, I see opportunities as we go forward, especially in areas where the power grid is going to be harder to fill out that there's a role for hybrid electric and improved internal combustion engines to help facilitate the transition to that sustainable future that we all want. Fair enough. And that's appreciated, particularly improvement in thermal efficiency. How long has Formula One been doing this? When did they first move into the hybrid world and what prompted them to do it? So seven years ago, when they began using these hybrid systems, they went away from having just an internal combustion engine to what now they call the power unit, which is a hybrid system. So that was seven years ago. And what prompted them was discussions amongst the teams and the team owners that there's a problem in the world that's related to CO2, related to emissions. Well, We have the best engineers in the world, in their opinion, and we have this competition that tends to bring out better solutions. Why don't we allow our 
pressure cooker of global competition to tackle this problem. And so that's why they set out to the idea of, okay, without getting rid of internal combustion engines, how do we go about making those engines more efficient? How can we extract the maximum efficiency from a single drop of fuel? That was the focus of the regulations. And that's what they've done. Their next level of approach is how do we create a sustainable drop of fuel and then still extract the most value from it. So that's the direction they're going in. Again, hats off to them. I think they're the FIA and Formula One have, have done a fantastic job of allowing motorsports to do, as you said previously, lead the way in terms of technology change because they have all the resources and all the desire to find a way to become more efficient. And they can show that path that then can be copied down to production vehicles and eventually hopefully make a, a positive change for the world. Right. So any sense from uh, from you as to the, any details been provided as to what Formula One is looking for in sustainable fuel? Is it going to be a, a biotype fuel? Is it going to come from recycling, re-refining processes? Is there any indication of the, the sourcing for the sustainable fuel? I, I don't believe from what I've read so far that there's a single source for the fuel. They're not saying it has to be bio-derived or has to be recycled, but I do know that the one thing that they've committed to, that the fuel is net carbon zero production. So that's a, that's a huge goal, by the way. Absolutely. To have Absolutely. a net carbon zero production fuel. And so it has to be sustainable and it has to be net carbon zero, which those two goals right there make it pretty steep the challenge. But yeah, you, you have a lot of the major oil companies. You've got ExxonMobil, you've got Shell, you've got Petronas. There's a lot of major petroleum companies involved in F1. So it'll be neat to see how they, again, with the pretty wide range of rules, but a single goal, what kind of solutions they come up with. And in the day, whoever has the most efficient solution will probably win a Formula One championship and we'll get all we'll all know about that technology sooner or later. Yeah, obviously that's the name of the game. So let's take a step back in terms of the fuel is what fuel are they using today? I know in, in my limited racing car experience, you have a lot more than I do. Methanol's been used, I think a lot in Indy type cars, but what's used in Formula One right now? What fuel is used? So it is a gasoline. They have a specification. So they're fair it's not like a spec fuel. So it's not only one supplier for right. all the fuel, but it is gasoline. So it's a petroleum derived product and there's no ethanol in it or anything like that. So like in NASCAR for the last almost 10 years, I believe next year will be the 10th year. 2012 will be the 10th year that they've run a 15% ethanol blend. So NASCAR was the first of the major racing series to actually adopt a bio type fuel. So it's 15% ethanol, 85% racing gasoline. But in right. NASCAR's case, they made, they made the really smart move of going away from leaded fuel. So up right. until 2012, it was still a racing leaded petroleum fuel. So for the last 10 years, they've been on an unleaded 15% ethanol fuel. And I believe IndyCar runs an E98. I know they did at least at, for some point in time, they ran a 98% ethanol blend. I'm not sure of that today and where they're going, but I believe you'll see that as F1 moves to a sustainable fuel, you'll mm -hmm. see IndyCar and NASCAR also go along that same route that 
the, all of the major global racing sanctioning bodies will begin to move that direction. I know Le Mans, you know, which is an endurance race called the World Endurance Championship, WEC, that races, you know, the endurance racing around the world. They've also created some credits. Like if your engine platform, if your fuel has carbon reduction, if there's something about it from an ecological and environmental sustainability standpoint, you can get some advantages by deploying that technology in terms of rules, how, how much a car weighs and things like that. So I see at the top, top level, motorsports embracing the climate change challenge and say, hey, let us help out that we're not just here trying to go fast and pollute and that we don't care. No, no, they're, they're taking the challenge of what we have to face globally seriously. And they're trying to use the resources they have to try to pioneer new technologies that can help us. All right, let me back up again a little bit on a couple of things. One, NASCAR, I think most people are familiar with NASCAR in terms of racing cars. It looked like, I would say, passenger cars to a racing circuit in the United States. Indy refers to Indianapolis-type cars from the Indianapolis 500, which is held uh, everywhere in the United States at the end of May. And then Le Mans refers to racing of endurance. Hopefully people know about the 24-hour Le Mans race, which is held every year where racers start, what, at three o'clock in the afternoon and end at three o'clock in the afternoon the next day, per se, and there are various types of cars that are, are raced there. So let me ask one other thing. With, with Formula One having taken the lead on, on hybrid, are some of these other organizations, Lake, going to maybe go the hybrid direction too at some point in the future? Is that a feasible direction for some of these guys? Yeah, I think so. I think you'll see that making its way in. You know, Formula One tends to be ahead of the learning curve on this. And part of that's just because from a cost perspective, as we know, these kind of changes are not cheap. Formula One, because of the scale, because they race on a global basis, they have more budget in order to be able to, to tackle these challenges. But, you know, just like we mentioned earlier with the diamond like carbon, the DLC coatings, well, they were the first ones to pioneer that because it was really cutting edge technology at the time. But as they made it more universal, it trickled down to the NASCARs and the Indy cars. I mean, no different than fuel injection. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about it. So fuel injection is something that is commonplace across the board in all internal combustion engines pretty much across the planet right now. Even like lawnmowers and stuff now <laughs> can have fuel injection <laughs> systems in them. Well, while the production cars still had carburetors on them, Formula One was in doing fuel injection and it trickled its way down through other racing series eventually in automotive applications on a production basis so i think you'll see that same trickle down effect that the nascars and everybody else will look at some type of hybridization to be able to make their cars more sustainable and, and look again look more like the road going cars because it aligns with the market Right. So you've talked about piston seal rings, which you said is close to your heart in terms of some of the sources for improving sustainability, reducing friction. We've talked about fuel. We've talked about going to a hybridization. Are there any other steps, any other engineering that you see to make the uh, that is ongoing or should be under development to make the internal combustion engine more sustainable? Well, I think if you look at Formula E, which is kind of a sidestep to the question you actually asked me in terms of the engines, you look at Formula E, which is, again, part of FIA, which is the Federation International Automobile, which is essentially the global sanctioning body for motor racing. Right. Uh, they have 
a full electric series called Formula E. And those guys are tackling the challenges of what a straight EV system needs from bearings and materials, the electric motor. You and I attended the Esteli conference back in November of last year that addressed those things. And and a lot of the points that were brought up in terms of uh, heat capacity and friction reduction, that all aligns directly with what Formula E is trying to do. But it also kind of is tangent, actually, to what we're seeing in NASCAR and Formula One, making gearboxes more efficient. So those fluids are pretty similar. So I see there being more crossover, almost like a not a divergence, but more of a convergence of technology that lower viscosity oils with unique additives and more unique engineered base oils are going to basically start to cross-pollinate, that you'll see what we're doing in racing where we want the very lowest viscosity. We want the very lowest amount of friction with the least amount of wear. What combinations of materials and coatings and baseball technology and additive technology can be deployed in racing, I think it will make its way into the passenger cars as well. Kind of like we mentioned at the very top that what a racing engine will look like about 10, 20 years ago looks a lot like a modern GF6 motor oil today. I think we'll see that same thing. And the pace of change, I think, will just continue to elevate. I think that's the thing that technology seems to just be, it's not even linear. It seems like it's just completely exponential. And so it's hard to even guess what would happen five years or 10 years from now, just based on the fact that technology development seems to be going so quickly. It almost sounds like it'd be parabolic as opposed to being linear in terms yes. of taking off. Let's go back to the uh, the hybridization, their batteries, obviously. You mentioned the Mercedes development. You've also mentioned E, the, the Formula E, which are electric vehicles. Where do you, what's your assessment right now of the battery electric uh, vehicle technology that's being used, whether it be the hybrid that's being used in Formula One or what the Formula E people are using in, uh, right now? Where, where do you see that and where are the improvements going to take place there? Well, I see the full electric, you know, the EVs having a pretty dominant position in drag racing, actually. The NHRA, National Hot Rod Association, they've already created some classes and have actually announced some rules this past year at some of the major racing trade shows that they're creating some class rules that will allow for electric cars. I believe at the U.S. Nationals the previous year, they were doing some demonstrations with the Ford Cobra Jet, which is an all-electric race car that you can buy from Ford. And of course, you know, the, what's great about drag racing is that you don't have to turn left or right. You just go oh. fast in a straight line. So the, the extra weight that comes along with a you know, full battery electric vehicle doesn't hurt you as much because there's right. not that nimbleness where you need if you're actually trying to turn left and right. That's where power density plays a big role. In drag racing, it's all about going fast in a straight line. And if it weighs a little bit more, but it's way more powerful, it can pay, it can pay for itself at some point. So now, what about the noise element? Because people are drag racing. You hear a lot of noise. I think that's one of the popular sport. If you're going to do drag racing electric vehicles, like, and people don't hear anything, isn't that going to be sort of a turnoff for some people? I don't know. So this way, I think you may hear the ch- roar of the stands, you know, when the guy with the Tesla drags the guy with the 69 Camaro and just wasting. <laughs> uh, I think you may hear the boo birds a little bit more <laughs> or something. Uh, but, right. but, but see, but they, Neil, that's actually the case. There are people that are buying 
Teslas. In fact, like these Tesla plaids will show up at some, they call them Romachibrung open drag races, and they will totally destroy the hopped up big cubic inch, big block Chevy with nitrous. They just waste them because okay. they're so much more powerful. The power to rate ratio is there. And of course, the instantaneous torque. And that's really the key thing that because electric motors make instantaneous torque, there's not a torque curve where the engine has to accelerate to be able to make more torque. Right. It's just right. there from the hit. I see electric vehicles having a real place in drag racing. Of course, the sound uh, and the smell is something that's that's a big, big thing for everybody. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Well, let me ask one more thing is, and this is very exciting in terms of where this thing is going is how is Formula One and even the EV circuit wrestling with the whole weight issue with batteries? Batteries are heavy, you know, they, they whether it be lithium ion battery or some other type of battery, how are they dealing with that in terms of lightening the load, if you will, to improve efficiency and sustainability? Right. So I know when Formula One introduced the current engine package, which is a hybrid, they raised the minimum weight on the car. Okay. That way, somebody didn't make an internal combustion engine with very little hybridization to it, just to say it's a hybrid, and then my car is super light, so I have the advantage. They, they tried to make it where you had to work hard optimizing the hybridization in order to make it work, which, again, hats off of them seeing ahead and sure. just cheat the background, right? You make your, your intentions and align with your incentives. So I think back to the Mercedes and the EV, they just worked on power density. And I think that's probably the best thing, Neil, is that as battery technology improves, if we can increase power density in battery technology, it will begin to close the gap with fuels, normal internal combustion engines, because that's the thing. You know, the power density of a gallon of gasoline is quite a bit greater than the current battery technology. But back to additive manufacturing, the things you've talked about in the previous shows, there are some things you can do with additive manufacturing that maybe will allow battery technology to progress to a point where we can begin to close some of that gap in terms of power density, which will make these cars lighter, therefore more efficient. And this part of me kind of loves the idea of the, of the plug-in hybrid where you have this smaller, very, very thermally efficient internal combustion engine that's running on a sustainable fuel where we can have, you know, selective catalytic reduction. We can do things like that so that the, the emissions from that vehicle are minute, but then it also solves some of the range anxiety and is more friendly for a power grid solution. I, again, I, I think what we'll find is that as governments, as sanctioning bodies create these targets, if we allow for creative solutions, you know, and we don't say, well, this is the route you have to go. Now, the goal's here. Come up with creative solutions to get to the goal. The, if you allow racers to go do it, racers will find a way. <laughs> they will always find a way. That's, that's what they're good at. Well, Lake, thank you. I think you've painted a very exciting picture of what the future, what the current state of and the future of racing is going to be. And, and that portends well, I think, uh, in the drive to sustainability with these new technologies coming up and they're going to be applied to 
passenger cars, and maybe even we even talk commercial vehicles, but even there as well, the trucking as well. So appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity and hope everybody enjoyed our little chat about all of these things. It's an important problem that we have to address. And I think racing can help us solve those problems. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Perfecting Motion, Tribology, and the Quest for Sustainability. Brought to you by the Society of Tribologists and Lubrication Engineers the premier technical society serving the tribology and lubrication industry. STLE's mission is to advance the science of tribology and the practice of lubrication engineering in order to foster innovation, improve the performance of equipment and products, conserve resources, and protect the environment. STLE supports its members with a variety of technical, educational, and professional development resources and programs. To learn more about STLE, please visit our website at www.stle.org.